I'm Felina Jean, and this is Black Broads Abroad. I'm an international woman of leisure who said peace out to the United States in 2011, and I have not looked back except at this ass, honey. Since then, I've lived on four continents but traveled to over 40 countries. Along my journey, I've come to know some very compelling black women from all over the world who also said fuck you to their comfort zones. I created this podcast to inspire black women in the diaspora to take risks and live their very best lives. See me? You know me? Don't give me a fucking five no more. I'm not jacking nobody. I don't trust none of y'all niggas. I don't trust nobody. When you see me, don't give me. It's too much crazy shit going on. I'm not jacking nobody. I'm not playing. Y'all niggas gonna think I'm playing, but I'm not playing. Y'all heard me, right? So everyone woke up to a pandemic on Wednesday. Well, at least America did. Everyone else knew that it was a pandemic before the World Health Organization made an announcement. Riddle me this, why does it take a celebrity and the cancellation of the entire NBA season until further notice for Americans to like take heed to the seriousness of this virus? Like, it just throws me how vapid and arrogant and far removed from what's going on in the rest of the world. America is. I mean, one third of Italy had already been quarantined by Wednesday. Um, the whole east of Saudi Arabia had been quarantined. There were already like over 100,000 cases. And America didn't even get real about the shit until Forrest fucking Gump contracted the virus. Y'all were still concerned about whether to save Coachella or not. I just fucking can't with these particular features of the American mindset. Anyway, I'll shut up now. I don't want to upset my U.S. demographic. So anyway, you know, my friends were here from D.C. um, here in South Africa about maybe like almost two months ago. Not quite. And I jokingly said that, you know, this coronavirus is looking a lot like the bubonic plague. And, you know, her doctor bae, my girl's doctor bae, like, really minimized my reaction. And I was low-key serious. And now, look, people can't find toilet paper in the stage. Y'all can't find no hand sanitizer and just, like, basic provisions. And I'm going to say this without saying too much. Follow me if you can. But this is Bill Gates' eugenics project coming home to roost, and it's having the exact opposite effect it was intended for. If you're so inclined, do a little bit of research during your quarantine and and follow the money. BG has been involved with funding eugenics projects for decades. He has invested profusely and biohazardous virus strands. Uh, does Ebola come to mind? And now um, he suspiciously stepped down from Microsoft. Eugenics working in reverse like a motherfucker. Let me tell y'all something. This is the ancestors coming home to roost. 
one by one, so-called shithole countries are saying, fuck you, colonizer, you ain't welcome here. Mexico, Honduras, Uganda, and a host of other African nations. Personally, I'm amused, so I'm just going to watch the ancestors work, honey. When I say there's like, there's not a whole lot of panic um, here in South Africa where I am. Um, earlier in the week, there were 13 cases. I believe now there's about 38 um, there were some students who were studying um, in Wuhan, I believe, and a plane went from South Africa to pick them up. So I'm not sure if they've already come back. There's also whispers that the South African government is convening today to um, close its borders to Europeans and Americans. I can't confirm it just yet, but um, some people that I have on the inside are relaying that message. I really think this is a plea and a case study um, for the importance of Pan-Africanism. It is the only viable ideology for Black people. Let me repeat that. Pan-Africanism is the only viable ideology for Black people. I'll be circling back um, in the coming weeks with a blueprint for Pan-Africanism and being prepared in these times and a Get the fuck out of Dodge Manifesto and some modules for people that are really thinking about um, leaving the United States as a next step. In the meantime, y'all keep your G-chans up in these streets. Stay prayed up to the Orishas, to Black Jesus, or whomever you pray to. Anoint yourself with some holy water, some Florida water, and if you don't got that, use Crisco. Anyway, enough of my rant. Today's interview is with Margaret Free, a two-time expat in both Peru and the Dominican Republic. Margaret has been in my orbit for about 10 years now, and she's uh, quite a fascinating woman. She's a business professional with a social impact mission that has helped to enfranchise women entrepreneurs in Latin America. So stick around for that conversation. But first... Let me tell y'all motherfuckers what happened last week. Former Tallahassee mayor and gubernatorial candidate Andrew Gillum was caught up in a hotel room, passed out and inebriated allegedly in a hotel room in Miami. Baggies containing methamphetamine, which is a drug of choice for the gay community, were allegedly found splattered across the hotel room. I hate to see a brother, especially a HBCU brother from FAMU, go out like this. Hopefully, it's just a passing story in the news cycle, and this won't deter his career. One of the men that was also in the hotel room was a seemingly flamboyant, bottom-esque-looking white boy. Andrew, you gotta move better at these streets, man. People of no color are not your friends ever. In fact, you have no friends as our beloved departed prophet John Henry Clark spake. This also smells like a Marion Berry type setup. Anyway, move better, Mr. Gillum, and keep your G-chan up. In the race for the White House, three remaining septuagenarian white male candidates remain as contenders for the seat as president of the United Kleptocracy of America. We have Joe Biden, who secured more delegates than his socialist running mate, Bernie Sanders. I bet 
all those folks who voted for Biden instead of Warren or Sanders last week are pissing a shit right now. A pandemic make you want some socialism real fast. It's not lost upon me that the options we have for president of the United States are all at the highest risk of contracting coronavirus. How will they campaign exactly? How will they govern and fly around the world and meet with other dignitaries and fulfill their presidential duties with their frailty toward the virus? Anyway, stay fucking tuned. In a broken clock is right twice a day news, your president has ordered a moratorium on paying student loan interest and he's vowed to give states and territories up to $50 billion in federal funds to combat the spread of the coronavirus. Attaboy. Do something presidential for once. In more coronavirus news, there are now 162,588 reported worldwide cases, 6,069 deaths. Italy is quarantined. Israel is quarantined. Eastern parts of Saudi Arabia are quarantined. Argentina has halted flights from Europe and the United States. El Salvador has barred entry to foreigners. Guatemala, Mexico, and Peru have halted all flights from Europe and Asia. Your president also halted flights from the European Union, but all they're going to do is fly to the UK to get in, fucking dumbass. Venezuela also suspended flights from Europe. I mean, this thing is just getting bananas, really. These fucktards who are like traveling and hopping on cheap flights right now like chill out and I'm seeing so many um well not so many but I'm seeing a few like travel companies um boutique travel companies still promoting their trips like that is so immoral to do right now we're in the middle of a pandemic like behave as such CBS News interviewed a Harvard-trained virus expert, Mark Lipstick, who cautions that 40 to 70% of the world's population will become infected and about 1% could possibly die. There are 7.5 billion people in the world, to put it in perspective, and that means 75 million um, could potentially die. Um, The stock market felt cataclysmic effects... The world's wealthiest people lost nearly a trillion dollars in the stock market route that shows no signs of ending. The world's richest 500 people collectively lost $331 billion on Thursday alone and $950 billion since the start of the year. Well, Trump's reign as president will soon be over because I really don't think his constituents are going to vote for a nigga that quite possibly lost all his dough in the stock market. Okay. Anyway, I am coronavirus out personally. I hope that you guys have gotten all of your own provisions and you take this time of being isolated just to study your own stories, finish those pending projects and to cultivate some healthier habits. Stay safe out there, y'all. And that's it for... Let me tell y'all motherfuckers what happened last week. Until next time.
Margaret Free was born and raised in Greensboro, North Carolina, and from a very young age knew that she wanted to see and experience the world. After a year's stint in the Dominican Republic, while in college, she, she set her sights on Latin America and always looked for ways to return for travel or for a long-term stay. She has lived in eight different cities and spent a year and a half in Peru working with women entrepreneurs. Since that time, Margaret has made her home in Atlanta, where she started the Vibrise, a website and podcast focused on the spiritual awakenings of Black women of the diaspora. She keeps her candles lit, crystals charged, and her chakras aligned. Welcome, Margaret. I like that. That's a dope tagline. Y'all, that's your slogan. That's That's a (laughs) t-shirt. That's merch. That's a whole bunch of other stuff. Okay. You push me. You push me. I like how you push me. Yes. So little bit of background. Margaret and I um, came into each other's lives via the World Wide Web. It sounds so weird to say, but we were in... um, we were in a really um, um, forward-thinking and like first of its kind travel group. We were the OGs of Nomadness Travel Tribe that has since blown up into a huge organization. Uh, but she's one of the few people that I've like maintained contact with, and I'm so happy to still have you in my life since 2011. I know. <laughs> So I'm going to go right in. So I mentioned in your bio, you grew up in Greensboro, North Carolina, and you cite that you always knew that you wanted um, to see and travel the world. How was your global curiosity nurtured as an adolescent? Um, So really where that came from was, you know, obviously Greensboro is a lot of people consider it to be a small town. I'm sure you do, you know, being from from L.A., um, I never really saw it as a small place, but, you know, looking back and seeing what I was exposed to, I mean, it is, it is this, the true South, it is a heavy civil rights center in terms of, you know, the history of this country. And so uh, much of our history, much of what we're experiencing in Greensboro, particularly in the eighties and the nineties are black and white relations. So you mm. may have, you know, some, you know, Asian populations here or there, Mexican populations here or there, but the diversity of Greensboro was really black and white. So I can't say that that particular part of my experience is is what gave it to me. It was, you know, people always thought um, my little brother and I were Indian, like not Mm. Native American, but like from India. And I always thought that was weird. Um, (laughs) You know, like this, this was in my straight hair days too. So um, you know, I always yeah, you thought it really was weird, long it, hair, don't care. Right. So they, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, my features. And so that just kind of sparked my curiosity about, well, maybe, maybe I am, maybe there's somewhere back there, you know, you never, you know, as black Americans, you don't know what is back is in your DNA or, or where, where you come from, so to speak, in terms of like, is there any mixture going on? Is there something happening? So that is what piqued my curiosity. And we, you know, this was this was the days when you had to look in encyclopedias. And we always had like a fresh set of encyclopedias. And I would go to those encyclopedias and I would look up Egypt and I would look up India and I would look up all these different places. And I was just so intrigued by the fact that there are like other people in this world living a complete life, you know, 
very differently from me and in these very different places. It just it was just fascinating to me because, you know, when you grow up in America, you're so um, U.S. focused. You think that that literally that's the only place on Earth. <laughs> so to have people ask me if we were from certain places, it made me look up, um, you know, to try to find more information. And then also when I got to, I would say, in the middle school years and the high school years, this is when I went. Now, I always went to prime uh, majority minority schools, but they weren't um, they were majority black. But we had heavy Laotian populations. Um, hmm. You know, we had a lot of refugees at our school. So I had a lot of exposure to people from different places. Um, when I got to high school, we were I mean, you know, these days, I think that it, my high school tags itself as an international school. Um, not in the sense that you're learning other languages, just in the sense of the makeup of the school. Mm. But I've always been like the weird one. So I've been like really into, I go through these phases of being really into some culture. So when I was in high school, there were these Indian girls, people thought we were related. And so I just, <laughs> one day I saw them, I was like, I'm just going to go eat lunch with them. And I just like sat down with them and they just, you know, I like took them in because I was like, you know, the cool one of the cool kids and they were like, you know, they would sit with the, the newly arrived immigrants basically. So I just kind of started sitting with them and asking them questions and learning more about them. I would go to their house and have tea and eat with them. And I, I just thought it was so cool. And they were like, you know, uh, we had this, this thing at school called international day where everybody from a, a certain culture, you, you put on a show, like, you know, a dance or, a poem, whatever represents your culture. And they were like, you should dance with us. And I was like, I absolutely should. So I'm like legitimately in pictures, dancing with these <laughs> girls. Like we were, we ended up going around Greensboro doing this dance and people would come up to me after like, oh, is this from your culture? And like, they really legitimately thought I was supposed to be up there. And I was like, this is crazy. I mean, I was the obviously the darkest and the tallest one, but <laughs> they didn't know no better. So I've have you ever been, like, a weirdo? <laughs> have you ever um, have you ever done your um, your DNA analysis? I did do it, and it continues to change. Um, but, but there's definitely no Indian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there's no no Indian no no India Indian. There's a like a little bit of Native American, but it's primarily um, West African and European. Okay. So. Yeah, you do have um, very racially ambiguous features. I mean, you're obviously phenotypically black, but I could see how right. like, in your travels, you could probably blend in like anywhere in the world. <laughs> and people oh, yeah. think well, that you're from there. But that's the thing. That's what I've always noticed is that typically somebody is always coming up to me like wherever they're from they think I'm from there because they have a cousin that looks like me or you know <laughs> they have an aunt that looks like me so I'm like okay so I've been you know that and that's really what sparked um my choosing to go to the Dominican Republic um in college because um you know I knew just based on like you know I'm dancing with these Indian girls I'm always like really interested in like world history and learning about different cultures um, so I knew before I even got to college that the first thing that I want to plan out is a study abroad and I want to go somewhere for a year. I just had to figure out where I was going. Hmm. So, okay. You mentioned your study abroad and that leads to my next question because you did your, um, your first living abroad and immersive international experience 
in the Dominican Republic. And, you know, I'm being of Haitian ancestry. I have, I have some big issues with the Dominican Republic and their treatment of Haitians. But I mean, what was your experience like there? And did you get, uh, I mean, you're ambiguous. You probably, <laughs> you probably bled there right in, but did you get premium American treatment during your time there? Or like, what, what was the experience like? Uh, so, yeah, so I ultimately chose the Dominican Republic because, I mean, Dominican Republic wasn't even on my radar until I went to New York and I just happened to be there um, during like a Hispanic uh, American parade or something. It wasn't like a Dominican parade. It was the one where all the countries go with their flags. And yeah. we, we were just kind of walking on the streets and people were like, you know, they thought I was Dominican. And I was like, okay, I guess that's where I'm going. And literally like the next week I went back to school, there was a study abroad fair and I saw a book for the Dominican Republic. And I was like, okay, I guess that's where I'm going. So I specifically went because I wanted to go somewhere where I could blend in. I didn't want to be the American. I just wanted to to have a, an experience, just be like a normal person. Um, and so, yeah, when I got there, um, I, I don't think I got the big American experience at all because I was there with a bunch of white girls. I mean, there were, um, you know, there were black girls, black women. Well, I, I mean, I don't know what we call ourselves in college, but <laughs> there were black <laughs> females uh, with me as well. But the white girls on the trip, I mean, if we, when we went anywhere, when we went to the club, when we were on campus, when we were doing any of those things, they were the desired ones because hmm. they were seen as exotic. They were like the exotic girls. They're American. They're so beautiful. And I'm like, these girls are so basic. What are you talking about? Like, there's nothing going on here. <laughs> nothing to see here. But you would never know it. You would have thought like Cindy Crawford had come on campus. It was, um, it for me, it was, I had never experienced anything like it because, you know, I'm from the South where, you know, people who look like you think you're pretty for the most part, right? Like right. that's how it goes. So for me to be looking at these Dominicans who look just like me and they're mm. just like looking straight past me to this white girl, I was just very confused by it. Um, so I would say that, no, I didn't get like an, an American treatment. When I first, so when I first moved there, I was, so I lived in two cities. I lived in Santiago and then I lived in Santo Domingo. Okay. So these are two totally different worlds. Santiago mm. is, in the, is in the valley of a mountain, okay? And they're very light there very 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 fair-skinned in in that part of the country and okay so they you there's more of a contrast there in terms of you know you stand out how you're treated I mean I can remember going to you know different clubs and the girls that I was with were black but they were more phenotypically black they you know like they're hair maybe didn't get as straight as mine or, you know, they didn't have like the pointy nose or whatever. And nobody would ask them to dance. And they would say, really? well, people, people will ask you to dance. Cause you, I mean, you look Dominican. So they, they don't make the distinction, but I just look like a black person. So they're not asking me They think I'm Haitian. So that was mm. thing. like, you know, you, and it was, it was one of these, these things where you are so aware that like the goal for your, just for the, the betterment of your experience is to not, for them to not think you're Haitian. And wow. you, feel, you feel bad for feeling like that because you know mm -hmm. it's wrong. 
But at mm-hmm. the same time, it's like survival mode. You know what I mean? Self-preservation so like, is the first one. <laughs> right? <laughs> you want to like make it clear, like, you know, no, like you're not going to treat me like this. I can afford these services. I can, you know, um, do this, this, and this. You're not going to treat me like you treat this person just because you can treat this person that way. And that was like something that was very like in your face in my experience there, like in that first semester. And I, I'll give you, I'll tell you. So I went to, um, we had the opportunity and this program was awesome. Let me just say the, hmm. the leaders of our program was a, was a black American woman um, and a, a Filipino girl who was also in the program like previously, but they made sure. And that, that woman, that black American woman, she took the black pe- black people to the side and she talked to us and she said, this is what you're going to experience. Mm. This is how they view Haitians. This is how they view black people. You need to be prepared for like she didn't. There was no sugarcoating it. And I like appreciated that from the beginning. Um, But so my first semester there um, in that city, she she had an opportunity for us to go to a bate. A bate. bate? So a bate is where the Haitian sugarcane workers live. So we went, we stayed with, you know, in this, in this, like, you know, obviously it's, it's like, if you're thinking of the develop, the developing world, it's like at the bottom rung, we mm. stayed, we played with the kids. We did like, you know, some projects on um, site with them. Um, we had, you know, just like various people there let us stay in their houses. So they like, you know, opened up a bed and we stayed there like peeing in a hole you know you had to go out to the back and like crawl up on the cement block and stand on it and pee in it I mean this was like like we had left you know the country that we were in and went to an entirely new country and it was there that I got really angry I just was so angry this is not right these are human beings and I was just pit like this was more towards the end of my time in that first semester, but I was, from that moment, I hated Dominicans. I hated them. I was so angry at them because I was just mm. like, these, they look, these people are you. Literally, the only thing it's that the separates same you is, island. It's, it's the same, same island. island. So it, it like snapped me out of this like self-preservation thing. And I just felt really um like I'm like almost like an advocate for the Haitians that I saw on the street selling stuff. I wanted to buy things from it just like, you know, it just took me out. And I was like, just so just so you know, this was when I moved to the Dominican Republic, I was 20 years old. I had never left the country before. My first country was to stay somewhere for, for five months. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which is, um, so I was like, you know, you're like, you do stuff like that. You are learning parts of yourself. And so, you know, you're first trying to survive because I didn't speak the language. I didn't know what was going on. Then I was like, whoa, this race thing is happening. You know, I'm from the South. Like, you know, you, you're proud to be black. You don't do that. You don't ever do anything like that. That's insane. So I couldn't Mm. get it. And I went to the Bate and I was just like, you know what? I'm over this place. I'm done. You know, these are like the phases of culture shock too. So Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm done. You know, I don't want to be here. I'm tired of these people. They're stupid. You know, all this stuff. And that's kind of how when I left, because I left, I did come home for Christmas and then I went back. 
And I just kind of had like a come to Jesus with myself. Like, you know what? This is, this is, this is the country that you've chosen. This is who they are for whatever reason. And I need to just accept that this is, I can't change the world because the reason you get so angry is because you want to change things. And it's like, that's not my role. I can't, who am I to try to change (laughs) the mindset of a country? And I had to like relieve myself of taking on, you know, any of these things. Because if you, if you talk to a Haitian that's in the Dominican Republic, they're happy. If you talk to a, a Dominican that's in Dominican Republic, they're happy. But it's not necessarily my view of happiness. Do you know what I mean? And right. I don't mean happy. Everything's perfect. You know, life is grand. But they're not, they don't view happiness in the sense of like, in the way that we do. It's more so, did I eat today? You know, wow. is my family okay? Am I with them? You know, am I alive? You know what I'm saying? It's just like, like that, that sort of Brazilian feel of like, yeah. today, am I getting everything that I need? And so I was like, you know what, Margaret, you got to chill. <laughs> and yeah. then I really started focusing on learning the history of the Dominican Republic. And then that gave me some insight into what I was experiencing. If you, if you read the history of just the Dominican Republic, don't, don't focus on Haiti, of the Dominican Republic, and look at how the United States intervened, put somebody in uh, the presidency there Trivilio. that was a psychopath. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. He you know, total, just totally like just, I mean, and, and a lot of those things come from him and his own insecurities. And that just has stayed. So I'm like, you know what, you got to, you have to, and that taught me a big lesson about just travel in general. But you have to do your part as a travel traveler. You can't just go somewhere and expect them to roll out the red carpet and like give you the experience that you daydreamed about. You have to understand mm. where you're going. You have to understand who these people are, understand the, the social forces that are out of their control. You know, it, like there's so much more to it than just like, you know, Dominicans hate Haitians, you know, and that's, yeah. that's so, you know, that's like so simplistic um, because that's not even, even close to the truth. Like most Dominicans that you talk to do not feel that way. It's just mm-hmm. that you know, that bottom rung that just has the loudest voice <laughs> on a lot of yeah. occasions because, uh-huh. you know, obviously I was living with Dominicans and they, those families treated me well. Now, don't get me wrong. There were families who said in their preferencing, I don't want a black student. Wow. That that's real. When but you know what? Time- I kind of a pre it's kind of like akin to living in the South because you know what you're dealing with. I prefer, yeah, I prefer, (laughs) yeah, seriously, I prefer that kind of like, um, you know, those kind of overt, (laughs) overt racism and discrimination as opposed to like having your feelings about me in secret. Right. Wow. Oh my goodness. I'm I'm glad that you like had the presence of mind at 20 years old to like, you know, come to grips with the fact that, okay, I'm here um, you know, you're not going to be able to change, but, you know, I'm going to have this immersive experience and take off my Western lens. Yeah. That's I mean, a that, lot of presence that, of mind. That, so well, I had six, I had like five more months. So I had to like, <laughs> like we got to figure <laughs> this thing out. So, but then I moved to the capital and it's a totally different place, totally different place because it, everybody's not, everybody's dark, but like most of those 
people that I was with, they were like chocolate. Nobody was concerned about me. Nobody was, I mean, it was totally different. It's like going from, you know, I, I don't know, Mississippi to, you know, mm-hmm. New York or something. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's like mm-hmm. a totally different experience. But also I had lightened up, you know, I just had lightened up a little bit. So it was for, definitely survival, but, you know, and then when I, by the time I left Dominican Republic, I loved it. I mean, so much so that I wanted to move back because I wow. just allowed myself to enjoy it and not not have feel like I needed to judge everybody that I was coming into contact with. You know, it's like, you got to relax. <laughs> wow. You know, I'm like sitting here thinking like living for the day. I'm like, like let me have a woosah moment about my difficult African Wi-Fi. <laughs> Right. You know, all things in perspective. So you also you also have a um a special affinity for Latin America in particular. What spawned um this fascination with Latin America? Because you also lived in Peru and like do you speak Spanish? Yeah. Okay. So um yes, yeah, so I definitely I picked up Spanish in, in the Dominican Republic. Um I'm I, I'm I'm never ever gonna be as good as Spanish as I think I should be. Uh, because the more you know, the more you know you don't know. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. one of those yeah. things. Um, but I've always been interested in Latin America because um, I like to travel to places where I can blend in. Um, so in Europe, that's not really going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Latin America is so close to the U.S. It's been just really accessible. Um, I love the music. I love um, many of the cultures. Um, I'm really more fascinated with the cultures that have, you know, the the African um, inheritance that comes with it. And I, I love how um, a lot of these Latin American countries that um, that are that did have slavery and do have a strong African presence in their culture. They've been able to keep so much stuff that that black Americans have not been able to keep just with how the Spanish and the English went about. Um, treating their slaves and and outlawing things. Like, you know, when you go to a place like Cuba, you just feel so close. Like, you feel like you're seeing something that's so close to maybe what we practice from a spiritual perspective. Something that we practiced, you know, before we were put into slavery. And I just, I'm fascinated by it. Same thing with Brazil. You know, you, you feel like you're experiencing something that's been untouched. And that we're not right. So that, you know, Latin America, I just think has just really beautiful cultures. Um, Peru was never really on my radar because again, as I mentioned, I like to go to places where I can blend in (laughs) and that's not (laughs) Peru. Um, It just so happened that, that, you know, the opportunity that came up was in Peru. And I was like, all right, well, I said, I want to go to Latin America. The universe is providing this opportunity in Latin America. So like, take it, you know, so you went to Peru in grad school, yeah? And you were pursuing your MBA? No, so, oh. no, so I was, so I got my MBA from a school called Thunderbird, which is, um, I don't know if we're still the number one, but we go back and forth with um, the University of South Carolina's international business program, but we typically are number one in international business. So it's not a school that's really wide, widely known, like say Harvard or you know, Kellogg, but for people who are in the international business space, it is very well known and very well regarded. So I was like, you know what, let me go there. This is going to set me up. Um, Because, you know, for 
African-Americans or people of color, a lot of times when you're getting an MBA, you're buying access to a network because right. <laughs> my parents were not CEOs of anything and they can't just call up their friend to get me a job. You're buying access to opportunity. And so um, I finished Thunderbird and then I moved to the Northeast and I started working in corporate America. And after about, you know, I guess like three, three years of that, four years of that, I was like, all right, you know, it's time to go after this dream of living in Latin America, because my goal was to move to Latin America and never come back. That's what I wanted to do. Hmm. Um, And so I started looking and Thunderbird had an opportunity to move to Peru. So Thunderbird has a philanthropic arm called Thunderbird for Good. And Thunderbird for Good has opportunities to help women in the world um, get access to business education. So like Hmm. we've had cohorts of women from Haiti, cohorts of women from Afghanistan, from Iraq, come to camp. They stay there for like 10 to 12 weeks. They They go through some like, you know, courses, and they leave with a certificate and an ability, and I think like a coach, a business coach, and they're able to take whatever it is that they've been doing in their home country. So if they're making quilts or if they're making empanadas or whatever the case may be, how do you turn this into a business so that you can support your family? So it's mm. like giving access to this sort of education. And so um, there's this mining company called Freeport, McMore and Copper and Gold. They're um, headquartered in Phoenix. And so they wanted to do this um, specific uh, corporate social responsibility project in their mining communities, but they wanted to pilot the program in Latin America. So mm. they go to Thunderbird and they say, hey, we know you guys do this. Like, this is what you do. So we want you to create a curriculum. We want you to find some software developers and we want you to find three alums to go down into uh, Latin America and pilot this program in our mining community. And so there were two opportunities in Chile and one in Peru. And I was selected for the one in Peru to pilot and launch the program. Wow. That's um, so Thunderbird. They have the school specifically has a commitment to social impact. Right. That's wonderful. I mean, it's a business school, but they but it's a business school that also has, you know, if you are passionate about um, education, you know, international education or global development, things like that, they do have caveat, you know, they do have something for that. Not all business schools give you the opportunity to learn about, you know, how to save the world, so to speak. Thunderbird mm-hmm. does have um, opportunities to to be involved in that type of thing. Hmm. That's, so you recently um, you recently went on a solo trip to South Korea. And, you know, I used to live there, but in bumblefuck fucking Korea is like nowhere near Seoul. And... Um, I didn't really like Korea that much because it was so homogeneous. Yeah. Like it was never an opportunity to blend in, but I know that like visiting a place is much different than, um, than living there. What, what, what were some of the highlights of your trip? And you went by yourself, which I love. I'm all about women traveling by themselves. (laughs) So if I have, like, if I'm going on, going to a resort because I'm not I'm not be like I used to be like put my nose up at people who went to resorts like ugh, they're not experiencing anything like what are they doing <laughs> I used to be like that but now I'm like I no, am too I, like... <laughs> I enjoy a good resort like sit me down somewhere I don't <laughs> like 
maybe I'll take an excursion and go somewhere, but like I'm good. Sit me on this beach, bring me my drinks, let's have my food over here ready to go. I'm good. I've already that proven comes with age. I've, I've done that. That comes right. with age. I mean, being comfortable is of utmost importance right. when you <laughs> Um, but yeah, so with, so I love solo travel and, uh, particularly when I, when I'm going because I want to immerse myself or I want to get specific things done. Uh, but if I'm just going to sit on a beach, I'm fine doing that with friends. But if I'm like going on a trip trip where I need very few opinions about what we're going to do, I'm going by myself. Right. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So Korea, I had, so for the past two years, which is crazy because I'm I'm an Aquarius, so I'm all over the place. Like I'm just like all of my friends are like, well, what are you into this week? Because that's how my hobbies go. I just like I'm like, oh, I'm like learning to knit. You know, it's just randomness. But for the past two years, I have been consistently obsessed with Korean dramas, Korean TV, Korean v- variety shows. So much so that I'm like trying to casually learn Korean, and so it's just been like this buildup of like. I need to go there because I had a list at this point of foods I needed to try. I have like places that I need to go see because I've seen them so many times in my dramas. Um, so for me, it was just like, <clears throat> like, you know, what I would imagine is if you all you've ever watched is American TV and you're just dying to go see New York or something like that. Uh-huh. That's what it was like. So I've, I just, um, you know, I know people have like, um, issues i i mean listen asia is really racist okay so this is the thing as black people we just have to come to grips that the world is racist against black people that colonization Period. has worked. Yeah. everybody believes what they've you know that the white man is superior okay get over it do not let that limit what you experience go see places and you'll find that yes the the world is racist but there are good people everywhere and Everywhere. so I was like, you know, you, you can hear horror stories about like, oh, Korea, you know, they just stare at black people. They don't like us. They don't, you know what, what, as long as they serve me my, my little steak that I order with my, all my side dishes, I'm good. Like, but I don't, you know what I found, but I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut no, you the, off. What no, I found no, no, with ahead. Korea, like their stares were not voyeuristic in the way that it is in China. Okay. It was just, I just felt that it was more curiosity because it is a homogeneous country. So, yeah, it's weird as fuck. You see a a, a black walking down the street, that's weird. I look like that at the white people in Inglewood that's infiltrating South Central. So, I get that. I get right. that part. Yeah, there. Uh, I, I was received with kindness there. It was just like there was yeah. just never a time to blend in. And sometimes yeah, you just I mean, want to blend. Yeah. And I was so focused. Like I had just built out this awesome itinerary. Everybody that was like following my trip on Instagram was like, oh my gosh, who are you with? Who did this trip? And I was like, no, no, no. I planned this whole thing. Like this is <laughs> everything, every tour. Because when I travel solo, I do a lot of, and now that they, that Airbnb has experiences, um, that's like the move because the Airbnb experiences are like, it's basically like Felina lives in Joburg. She's really into painting. So she's going to take you to all the places that she loves. So it's really, you know, so the things that I did are not like things that everybody's doing because, you know, this is literally some like this lady who had been in the skincare industry for, I think like 20 or 30 years, basically has a little skincare studio. And so she had, um, a 
tour, quote unquote tour, I think it was like $50. You go, she teaches you, she looks at your skin. She like takes you through the skincare process and tells you what steps you should take based on your skin. Through a whole session, she gives you some samples when you leave. And I'm like, you know, like I appreciate stuff. And I was the only one in there. Me and like one of her regular clients who we could not. Oh, so it's very intimate. Yeah. Yeah. So like things like that, that's what I like to experience when I travel. So when I left, um, you know, I felt like I had seen um, the things that I wanted to see and experience the things that I wanted to experience. I had um, intensive Korean classes for two hours a day every morning while I was there. And I ended up keeping her. And so like we meet on Skype once a week and continue our lessons. And she was fantastic, you know? So it's just like, um, I got this bug, <laughs> you know, I told you I cycle in and out of cultures regularly. Like I'm just, <laughs> that's how I am. And, but for whatever reason, this Korean thing has stuck for two, I guess two years. That's crazy. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was an amazing trip. I can't wait to go back when it's warm. Um, I really, it was like 30 degrees or lower the entire time I was there. But I was, when I tell you I was outside, you know, for eight, nine hours a day, like walking, touring, and it was raining some days. I, this is how much I loved it. You know what I mean? Like, that's passion. <laughs> it is. I actually, you know, I enjoy Seoul. I mean, I live like two and a half hours away from Seoul, but that's one thing about Korea. Of, of every place that I've been to in the world, they have the most robust transportation system, and yeah. like their infrastructure is amazing. The, yeah. the Wi-Fi is great in every stretch of the country to the most rural parts. The transportation systems, super easy to navigate. Um, it's it's really clean, though. I think it's really amazing how, like, the Korean War was, like, what, 50, 60 years ago? And they were, like, once, like, the poorest, one of the poorest countries in the world. And the way that they have been able to, like, ramp up their economy. And it's amazing. It's, it's amazing what they have done in such a short period of time. I you mean, know, they I have... feel like the U.S. could take some notes on public transportation, on Wi-Fi pods. Oh, public I mean, health. I, I was just like, okay. Yeah, like, uh, public right, health. Okay. Can like, we talk about the corona? They've already <laughs> tested 140,000 people already. I don't know how. And, and, and they have like drive through clinics. Um, yeah, they're just they're they're advanced. I think they have one of the leading passports, like number like number one, number two passports. I was really surprised. I believe it. Yeah. I mean, after I went to Seoul, I was like, I could totally live here. Um, you know, I mean, I'm older, so I don't. I'm not necessarily looking for the type of like, in, um, you know, blend in thing that I was back yeah. in my 20s. Now I'm like, where can I like if I were to live abroad? I mean, I'm I'm kind of settled in Atlanta now. But if I were to live abroad, I would just want to live somewhere really advanced where I can have a good life. You know, like yeah. as long as I have my my partner and my family with me, like. Korea would be it. It's nice. I mean, it's really, I was really impressed with it. Seoul is a world-class city. That's for Mm -hmm. sure. It's a world-class city. So, okay. To exciting news, your projects, you recently launched your podcast, The Vibe Rise, and it focuses on the journey to spiritual enlightenment for black women. And I love it. It's like every Wednesday I get a chakra alignment from tuning in. (laughs) Seriously. And I need it. Okay. 
what was the um, what was the impetus for the creation of your podcast, and how has your own spiritual journey been shaped by being exposed to so many cultures? Um, so yes, thank you for plugging the Vibe Rise. Um, so I started the Vibe Rise a year ago, but it was a website, and where that came from is, you know, like I'm an HR professional, so I'm in corporate America, and I do think that. I've now gotten to the point where um, I can get a lot of purpose from my job. Um, like I'm, you know, I, I I feel like something's happening in my life that's like changing my perspective on the work that I do and how important it is in, in the lives of others if I can do it right. So that that piece is kind of like I'm getting some fulfillment on that end. But I always have felt like there's something that I'm supposed to impart on the world. I just don't know what it is. And so there was like this, I don't know, like a year period where I would just like kind of pray about it, meditate about it, you know, talk to my angels and my guides and my ancestors. Like, look, whenever you're ready to unfold this to me, I'm ready. Like I'm ready to make the move, whatever it is. And um, one day I just kind of got this like, it was like this spark of, I should create something that gives community to people who are who are woo-woo, as they call it, or just, you know, spiritually weird. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> but like, you know, people who have basically the premises as Black women, um, and it, well, first it was focused on women of color, but I decided to really target it to Black women. But again, these all the concepts are universal, and um, I'm really just trying to build a space because white women seem to have this community down, like, they are in all of the spaces. They make all of the money from this stuff. And mm -hmm. that's not even, that's not a dig. That's just a fact. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like there is this gap in terms of, you know, for Black women, we grow up in a very specific religious tradition. And typically in a, you know, we'll, I'll just talk about Christianity because that's my experience. Typically, when you grow up in a very specific Christian tradition, you are not encouraged to seek outside of that or really strongly question what you're learning or, you know, to talk to psychics or to use crystals or to talk to the archangels. Any of these things that I feel like are, are the makeup of the kingdom of God, we're really very streamlined on how we use uh, religion, mm -hmm. how we use God. And I think a lot of that comes from the control associated with religion when you look back at slavery and the ways that religion has been used to control us as a society versus to really make us powerful. And so mm. uh, I want to give a space to those Black women who are reaching beyond what they've learned in their childhood and really starting to expand um, their thought process and the things that they're learning. I don't want them to have to do that alone because I had to do it alone. And mm. I remember wanting somebody to talk to about it and what, what about this book? And what about this concept? And what should I use this crystal for? And, you know, how do I, what is the heart chakra? And what should I do? How do I know if it's in balance? So I feel like just to like demystify the process, say that you're not alone, but then also just provide a ton of resources for people who are curious, who are just starting, who are knee deep in the process, or who just, you know, want to connect with like-minded people. I just wanted to create a space for that. So I created a website um, and then 
about a year after that, I just started to get this, this thing, you know, how you, you feel like, you know, like your, I don't know if it's your intuition, but something is like tapping on you. Like, you you know, it's time that you need to make a podcast. You need to make a podcast. And I'm just like, no, I don't want that. I don't want the work. I don't want to do it, (laughs) you know, like, no. And it just wouldn't go away. And I was like, fine, I'll make the podcast. You know, it's like a true, like, I had to just like a come to Jesus, basically. That's probably who it was. Um, (laughs) And so I made the podcast to basically put um, a voice to the stuff that I was putting out because, you know, nobody reads websites anymore. People want to watch it. They want to hear it. They don't want to go and like thumb through website articles and stuff. So I was like, okay, I just need to get with the time. So the website still exists, but now I've just started to do like a Wednesday, every Wednesday podcast. And I've now started to add some interviews. You were my very first interview guest. Thank you very much. Such an Um, honor. (laughs) But it's just, you know, the podcast is focused on, I, I feel like it's like my journal. I'm, I'm sure you can appreciate exactly. that because I just feel I like, know. you know, <laughs> <laughs> I just talk about things that I'm struggling with or that I've experienced or tips on, you know, things that like, you know, just things that I, if I was in the space, um, that I would want to hear. So that's, that's kind of what I'm focused on. That's amazing. So what is the biggest lesson in all of this that you've learned about stepping outside of your comfort zone? Um, that you just have to do it. I feel like you should always, you should never be comfortable for too long because there's no growth in comfort. Um, and that doesn't mean that you need to be um, always taking these huge, massive leaps. But if you look at your daily life, you know, even going to the gym, like setting the, the standard to go to the gym three days a week is uncomfortable. But, you know, at the end of that, there's there's like a huge reward. So I think um, when we think about taking a leap or, you know, the comfort zone, we, we think about it in very big terms. Like, let me leave the country. Oh, God, Margaret. Like, oh, God, Felina, you're so brave. How did you do that? But it's like there are things in your daily life that you're ignoring, that you're not confronting, that you won't deal with, that's your comfort zone. Mm. Deal with the crap, deal with the crap, lose the weight, change the way that you eat, have the difficult conversation with your sister. I mean, like that's the leap in my, in your, in my opinion, because those small leaps lead you to your big leaps. And then the Mm. big leaps are easy. You know what I mean? (laughs) So I take (laughs) the perspective of comfort zone that your comfort zone is your day-to-day life where you're not pushing yourself to be better, to clear the, to clear the crap so that you can actually receive the vision and receive the purpose. Wow. That's, that's great. Uh, That's great advice too. So where can people follow your journey and keep up with you on social media? So I can be found at the vibe rise um, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, I will be very honest that Instagram is the only one that I really, really push stuff to regularly, though um, you will see stuff on all the platforms. And then also um, the Vibe Rise, uh, the podcast is The Vibe Rise, um, and that can be found wherever you listen to your podcast. And a new episode comes out every Wednesday. Thank you so much, Margaret. I'm so happy that we got to do it. 
Shalene, why you outside? A lot of people ain't going on in there. Ah, people ain't. And I was sitting minding my own business and Cora never come touch me on my shoulder. Oh, no. Now, I got to come out here and get a whole nother outfit because this one contaminated. Makes sense. Guys, this is not the time to be touching one another. We loving one another and we seeing one another, but we're not talking mm -hmm. to one another because mm -hmm. we don't want to contaminate each other. The song come to my heart now. Talk about it. Sing it then. You better use that soap and water. That's I like good. It. You better use that soap and water. You better use that soap, y'all, and water. Or them Watch the ancestors work, honey. Everything must be destroyed before rebuilding. And we should just all be grateful that we come from a pedigree that has been on the side of righteousness. Now, black women, we stay ready. Our great, 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 great grandmothers plotted provisions and battle plans in our cornrows. They had the foresight to predict the atrocities of the Middle Passage and thereafter. Those same ancestors that jumped ship rather than subjecting themselves to the unknown of being enslaved. The infinite generations of Black grandmothers that prayed profuse prayers for their progeny. They are with us. Marcus Garvey said, look for me in the whirlwind. In the same vein, look to the ancestors in the whirlwind. Call them out by name. Now is as great a time as ever to reconnect with the spirit world and draw strength and divine direction and protection from the ancestral plane. Anoint yourself. Use this time of being sequestered to study your story, finish those creative projects that have been lingering, and just information outside of American purview for those of you living in the United States. Eat, eat healthy exercise, mental acuity is of the utmost importance. But most of all, don't stress out. Keep your G-chan up, 10 toes down. We built for this shit. And not the least of which, don't forget Pan-Africanism over everything. 
Shout out to our Patreon members. Thank you so much for your support. If you too are interested in supporting the Black Broads Abroad movement, keep up with us on social media. And that's at Black Broads Abroad, B-L-A-C-K-B-R-O-A-D-S-A-B-R-O-A-D. And that's on IG and Facebook. And if you're interested in supporting on Patreon, visit www.patreon.com backslash Black Broads Abroad.